I'm glad to see you here today in our church building. Hey, everybody, glad. Why don't we, why don't we just give each other a COVID-friendly greeting this morning and give each other a big wave? Hey, it's good to see you. I'm glad you came this morning. It's good to see you there. Yes, you too. Hey, how are you? And, and for those of us that are tuning on in online, uh, why don't you raise your, your coffee mug or glass, and we'll just uh, give the coffee mug salute here today. Hey, glad that you could join us. And let's say, hey, for some of our viewers that maybe aren't tuning in on a Sunday morning, but rather you're tuning in during a different day of the week, whether it be morning or evening or afternoon, hey, we want to just tell you, we are so thankful and so blessed that you're tuning in to us today. And so we pray that God's message would, uh, would just inspire you and encourage you today. I would like to steer your attention to uh, some scripture here found in Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Beginning at verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it, or you will die. You will certainly not, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and so desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it, or some, and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that? Who told you that? Last week, I laid a foundation of what I thought, uh, uh, of, of what I wanted to talk to you actually about today. Last week, when I spoke about, uh, I spoke about creation and how God had created the heavens and the earth and, and all that is within that. And, and I shared with you how God created each one of us in his own image, male and female, and how this intelligent designer we call God made us an as an intelligent design, not some primitive creature that was evolved over time. Last week when I spoke uh, on the importance of knowing the whole story, instead of jumping in kind of midstream and creating our own narrative, because if we only know a bit of the story, we lack context and, uh, and, and we end up making some misguided assumptions that will lead us down an unintended path. My message last week, who told you that, 
was originally meant to only be a one-and-done message. But it seems to have taken on a bit of a life of its own, and it's now turning into a bit of a series. So let's dig a little deeper into our text this morning from Genesis chapter 3. Now, if you're taking notes this morning, today's message title is, Who Told You That? Part 2. So let's just dig in, beginning at verse... uh, Verse 1 of Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Meaning, the serpent was cunning and scheming and shrewd and sly. But in reality, this serpent was uh, Satan in disguise. And, And he approached Eve in the Garden of Eden. Satan at one time was a glorious angel in God's heavenly kingdom. However, his pride got the best of him, and he ended up leading a rebellion against God. He was so crafty and cunning and he, that he convinced a third of all heaven's angels to follow him and lead and, and follow him into this rebellion against God. But because Satan and his cohorts were created beings by God, they really didn't stand a chance against him. And so their rebellion only ended in their defeat. Satan and a third of all heaven's angels were cast out of heaven as a result. So think about this for just a moment. Satan is a little salty here. He is scorned by defeat, and he would like nothing more than to make some sort of jab at God. So why not mess with what God values most? Humanity. If he can defeat God, if he can't defeat God, why not make slaves of those who are created in God's image? John, a first century follower of Jesus, had this to say about Satan in uh, John chapter 8, verse 44. Listen to his description of Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue or native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The father of lies. That's who Satan is. Satan is a master deceiver. And with his lying tongue, he hung a question mark. He hung a question mark on God's one and only do not command. Again, let's look at this in, in verse, verse 1, how he does this. He says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Right away, he draws attention to that which Eve cannot have. That which Eve doesn't have. And that's how temptation works, steering our focus away from all that we have to crave that which we do not have. And Eve replies in in the next verses, she says, we may eat the fruit or eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. And so Satan has got her gazing at, 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 at the one tree in the entire garden, a garden that's so full of trees, so full of many other fruits and, and much other vegetation. But he gets her to focus off of, he gazes her focus off of all that she has onto that that she doesn't. And Satan, he's, he's got her attention, so he fires back in verses 4 and 5. He says, you will not certainly die. 
For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And with that, he's got Eve questioning her own perfection. You see, God couldn't have made Adam and Eve any more perfect. They were already perfection. They both bore the image of a perfect God. And Satan, in one conversation, one conversation, caused her to question her identity. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing perfected humanity that they weren't perfect. In, in Psalm 8, verse 5, it's, it, says, it says this. It says, Yet you made them, humanity, only a little lower than God, and convinced them with glory, or crowned them with glory and honor. You see, Adam and Eve couldn't have been more perfect. But Satan convinced Eve that God was holding out on them, that if they would just eat the forbidden fruit, they would become just like God, knowing good from evil. Now, Satan wasn't being entirely untruthful. They, had, uh, they would be like God, having this knowledge of good and evil. However, he failed to mention the high price that this knowledge would bring the high cost, that it would cost them literally everything. It would be the death of their innocence. It would be the death of their perfection. Ultimately, death would now become a reality in their lives, but also into the entire earth. Yes, God was holding out of them, but he was withholding death and destruction. Fast forward to chapter 4, and you will read that Adam and Eve experienced pain, a painful tragedy within their own family setting. One of their sons ends up murdering, taking the life of another son. And death becomes a part of the equation in their life. And it's, it's one thing to suffer loss of a child, but with the knowledge that it was one of your own flesh and blood that committed the murder, that's just heart-wrenching. Satan lied. Death would eventually come into their existence. But that's what Satan does. He lies. And his ultimate goal is to cause confusion and doubt. Eve partakes of the fruit, then offers it to her husband Adam, who also partakes of it. But why did Adam eat the fruit? Why didn't he stand up for what was right and do the right thing? He should have uh, known better. He, he should have protected his wife and convinced her otherwise. He should have stood up to the serpent and subdued it, for, he was, for the serpent was under his control. But here's the real kicker. You see, Eve gave in to temptation. She was the one that was tempted, while Adam conscientiously made a choice to disobey God. For him to eat the forbidden fruit was actually an act of rebellion and disobedience towards God. John Milton, a renowned poet who lived during the 1600s, was known for his epic poem called Paradise Lost. Some have claimed that Paradise Lost has greatly influenced the English literature, second to only William Shakespeare. Now, Milton's take on Adam eating the forbidden fruit was that he loved Eve with all his being, and he could not imagine life without her. He had already experienced loneliness when he was first created before she was created in the beginning of time, but, but, that, it, but he didn't want that again. And, and that if it was the only way to be unified with her 
would to be to join her in death, well, that he would do. He would do, for life without her would be far worse than death. Now, I admit, that's a, that's a pretty interesting take uh, of the story of Adam and Eve. We don't know for sure why Adam did what he did. All that we know is that he did it. In verse 7, it says this. It says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Right away, shame enters their lives. A new emotion they had never experienced before. A new revelation. Now, I've got four children. Two girls, two boys. And when they were all toddlers, there was absolutely no shame in their nakedness. In fact, I think all of our children, I, I believe they all did, they would do, after they'd have a bath, they would do what was called this, this nudie run, right? They'd run around the house naked. And, and, and it was cute, and then it was innocent, and it was fun. But as each of them got older, being nudie was meant only to be in private. That wasn't something you shared with everybody else because it was shameful. It was, it was inappropriate. Actually, now that I come to think of it, I think Levi is still trying to get grasp that concept. <laughs> but here's the thing. Adam and Eve, up until this point, were free of any and all shame. Being naked was normal. It was even beautiful and celebrated. But in one moment, shame came flooding in and nakedness became dirty, inappropriate, and, and disgraceful. So they immediately covered up. In, in verse 8, Adam hears God walking through the garden. And, and, and let me just stop right there for a moment. How is it that the God of the universe, in all his greatness, is able to fit within the confines of his creation? Now, we don't, get the, we, we don't get the impression that God is some giant spirit who's in a galaxy far, far away in this text. No, it, it sounds like as if he's, he's human, walking and talking and having fellowship with humanity. Now, how is this possible? Because Jesus hasn't even arrived yet, right? He's not scheduled to touch down on planet Earth until the first century A.D. So how is this possible? Well, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it, it actually says this. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind uh, in our likeness, or in our image, in our likeness. Right? God is not alone at the beginning of time. You see, God is a triune God. There's three parts that making up one God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And, and at the beginning of time, Jesus had already existed. He had already existed. So, so here's what I think. I think God in the form of Jesus was walking around in the garden in the cool of the day, calling out to Adam, Adam, where, where are you? Adam, knowing that it's pointless to hide from God, says, I, I'm over here. I, I, I heard you in the garden, but I was afraid. Afraid of what, Adam? Well, because I'm, because I'm naked. I'm naked. Who told you that you were naked? See, shame causes us to hide from the ones we love the most. 
Shame causes separation. Shame causes deep spiritual pain and, and emotional wounding. Shame drives us away from God, our good, good Father. In verse 11, again, he says, Who told you that you were naked? And then he poses this question. He says, Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Did you break the one and only do not command that I gave you? Adam and Eve, what have you done? What did you do? Adam replies by blaming Eve. And Eve uh, blames the serpent. And, and the serpent doesn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> you can laugh there. That's a funny, all right? Ha ha, it's all right to laugh. <laughs> the serpent promised you know, that I'd be more like you, God. The, the serpent promised that I wouldn't die. The serpent told me that you were holding out on us. But I've come to realize that the serpent lied. Though Satan is our tempter, when we give in to temptation, he quickly becomes our accuser. And he has been lying to humanity, humanity ever since the Garden of Eden. Since Adam and Eve, Satan has been playing uh, with our minds with our minds, and he's causing doubt, and he's causing confusion, and he's causing chaos, right? First century Peter writes that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. He's looking for someone to devour. For centuries, humanity has been questioning the existence of God, questioning whether he is a good, good father, questioning the authenticity of the Bible, and questioning the identity of Jesus, questioning Jesus' death and resurrection, questioning our own identity and where we came from and, and what our purpose is here on earth. What has Satan been lying to you about? What kind of lies has, you, has he caused you to believe, right, and, 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 and think that are true? What, what temptation has he got you into and, and you've fallen into and, and he, he's got you now as his slave? What kind of shame has he got you chained to as a prisoner? Has he lied to you about your identity? Has he lied to you about your sexuality? Has he lied to you about your compatibility? Or, or, or uh, your, your, has he wreaked havoc on your... Um, uh, capabilities uh, and your insecurities. Has he been? What has he been lying to you about? What has he been lying to you about? Just because I'm a pastor doesn't make me immune to the attacks of Satan. Many times he causes me to question my calling. Many times he causes me to doubt the authority that I have in Christ. Many times he's attacked my self-esteem. Many times he whispers that I'm a failure and that I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm, I'm not strong enough, and that I'm a failure and that, that maybe I should just quit while I'm ahead. I remember years ago while mowing my lawn when we lived over on Lake Avenue and the devil whispered into my ears, he whispered this. He says, if you stay here, I'll wreck you. I will destroy you. You know you've caught all hell's attention when the devil himself per personally threatens you. Personally threatens you. But God calls me out of my shame and inner pain and asks me, who told you that? Who told you that? 
that you're not good enough? Who told you that you're nothing or a nobody? Who told you that you're useless? Who told you that you're a failure? Who told you that you're not smart enough and you're not uh, good enough and you'll never amount to anything? Who told you that? Who told you that you weren't perfect the way you are? Who told you that? I created you. I formed you. I knitted you together cell by cell, DNA strand by DNA strand, organism by organism. I never create junk, for I am a perfect God who makes all things new. Don't allow some other created being, especially Satan, to tell you who you are. I am who I am, and I say that you're perfect. I say that you're perfect. That's the words of our Father. I really believe that somebody needed to hear that today. Don't listen to those negative voices. Listen to the one voice, the one who, after creating you, said, very good. God calls each of us out of hiding. He calls us out of our shame. He calls us to himself. And he will not leave you nor forsake you in your nakedness. If we skip down to verse 21 here, this is what it says in verse 21. It says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and, Eve and his wife and clothed them. See, God wants to clothe you with his forgiveness with his grace, with his love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He will not let you remain in your naked, vulnerable state. He will clothe you, for he is enough for you. A modern-day poet penned these words. He said this, he said, God is my protection. God is my light in darkness. God is my joy in the time of sorrow. God is my today and my tomorrow. God is the joy and the strength of my life. He removes all pain, misery, and strife. He promised to keep me, never to leave you. He'll never ever come short of his word. I've got to fast and pray, stay in that narrow way, keep my life clean every day. I want to go with him. When he comes back, I, I, I've come too far, and I'll never turn back. God is my all and all. Thanks, Kanye, for that reminder. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in a day in a time such as this where there's so many confusing messages all around. We don't know really what to believe. We don't know because there's so much uncertainty, but there's one thing we can trust. We can trust your script. We can trust your word. And so, Father, today, I pray that this would be a new revelation for somebody. Lord, somebody who's bought into these lies of the enemy, that the feeling that they're nothing, or that they're nobody, that they're, that they're somehow broken, and that there's no way, that they're irreparable. But, Lord, I pray that they would come to know creator. They would find their identity in the one who created them. Lord, for some of those that feel like they were born by accident because they were an oops to their parents, God, they were never an oops to you. 
You knew them before they even were conceived. And so, Father, today, I pray, Father, that whatever history, whatever their history is, God, it would be removed by the revelation that you've got a plan and a purpose for their life. So, God, we give this to you today. In Jesus' holy name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. One last scripture I want to share with you today. As we close, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will.